0: And turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Nehemiah, chapter two. Last week we did the entirety of chapter one. Uh, and t- this tonight we are just going to look at eleven uh, verses, uh, verses one through eleven of chapter two. We'll finish off the chapter next next Wednesday. <clears throat> And the title of the message is this, Wait on the Lord. And nobody likes to wait. Uh, nobody does. Uh, this preacher included. I mean, we want stuff to happen right now. Uh, but if we learn to wait and expect God and look for God to do, to do great things, he will. And you'll get to see them if you're looking for them. And hopefully you'll recognize them when you see them. Uh, that appointment, I looked at that person, they walked in the room and I said, This is a divine appointment, because I should not be here. And the only reason I was there is because of all those delays. I say that because in chapter 2, Nehemiah is going to be delayed. Now, last week we saw in chapter 1 that the gates of the city were were destroyed. They were broken down. The walls were broken down. They were in disrepair. The report had come back from Jerusalem that uh, things were in bad shape. Uh, it's been 150 years uh, since the children of Israel uh, were taken captive by the Babylonians. They spent 70 years under God's judgment, and then God opened it up and gave them the opportunity to go back. Only 3% went back uh, to uh, build the temple, and it took them 80 years to get that done. And now we're another 70 years beyond that. And somebody comes back from a trip and Nehemiah, a government employee working for the Fed, working for the king. says, hey, so what's going on back in the home front, back in Jerusalem? And they said, man, it's bad. It's bad. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned up. There's no security in the city. Yeah, the temple's done. Yeah, there's worship going on, but it is not a safe place to be. And Nehemiah is burdened. But what can he do about it? Well, he's the king's cupbearer. He is the guy that the king trusts to taste his food and to taste his drink and to make sure it's not poison. And so he would drink it and the king would watch. I don't know how long you'd watch to see if the guy dropped over dead. And uh, Nehemiah, uh, he, that's, that's what he did. He tasted that. He was, a, he was a, again, the guy the king trusted. He was not a Persian. Uh, he was Jewish. And and so that, that's interesting as well that the king, Artaxerxes, chose this man who is not a countryman. So I guess you would say he chose him because he knew he had no aspirations politically. Is that that possible? And that speculation is about Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That they were trusted in the high levels of the Babylonian government because they knew that they did not, they would not survive politically on an overthrow. And so they were they were trusted. Uh, Daniel was trusted. <clears throat> and so here we we have in this first verse, chapter two, and it came to pass. In the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll give you some uh, very specific details on what is going on here in just that one seemingly insignificant verse. Father, I pray that you speak to our hearts this evening. We'd be challenged uh, to wait on you and to be patient and to expect you to work. And uh, while we're waiting uh, to make preparation, not just to stand or sit idly by and watch others work and the world go by, but to be busy preparing to serve you as Nehemiah will display that in these 10 verses of the second chapter. I pray that we'd be challenged and inspired and moved tonight, and we'll praise you for what you do in our hearts as we look to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 2, verse 1, is what you would call, what I would call, a chronological marker. It dates it. The Bible is different than any other book. It is not afraid to put dates and times and places, and f- false books don't do that. Why, why don't they want to put dates and times and places? Because if it's a fictitious place, then it means it's a fictitious book. If it dates it, then if it's proven that the date is not correct, then it's a fictitious book. Uh, but the Bible is accurate, and it puts dates down. And the date is important. <clears throat> now, in the first chapter of Nehemiah, look at verse 1. Nehemiah 1.1. 1, 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of he- Hekeliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu in the twentieth year I was in Shushan the palace. And then flip over to chapter 2, and let's look at that first verse again. Chapter 2, verse 1, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes. So we're in the same year, but a different month. We're four months later. Between chapter 1 and chapter 2, there is a time of four months. Four months when Nehemiah had a burden. Four months when he, he just knew that God would have him to do something about it. But even though he was the cupbearer, even though he tasted it, even though he was, uh, was over the food, he did not have the right or the privilege or the access to ask the king a question. It's not like he could have said, hey, king, uh, while we're sitting here waiting for lunch, uh, let me ask you a question. No, no that's, not the, that's not how the kingdom, kingdom worked. Uh, you, you left him alone. You did your job. You didn't ask him questions. You didn't speak unless you were spoken to. Now think, because just a couple of weeks ago, we were in the book of Esther. She's the queen. And Mordecai says to Esther, go before the king. And Esther says, he hasn't called for me. And even as the queen, if I go before him and he hasn't called for me... And he doesn't extend to me the scepter. He's going to kill me. Because when the king didn't extend the scepter, they just took you out and killed you. That's what they did. And so uh, here's Nehemiah. He's there. He's serving. He's doing his job. But he does not have the ability, the right, the privilege, the freedom to say to the king, Hey, (laughs) I got an issue of state business. He just doesn't have the ability to do that. So what do you do during the four months of that you're waiting for God to do something? Uh, you get busy. You get busy. You work. Oh, what did what did Mordecai do when he was waiting for God's deliverance? He went back to work. He went to the gate. He went to the gate of the city where he worked for the court system of uh, of the empire and. And serve the Lord in the capacity, again, as a government court employee that that was tasked to him. He was ready to take action. Obviously, God promoted him, or the king promoted him, and uh, he served in a high profile position in the empire uh, after that. But at that time, he w- w- say, preacher, what am I supposed to do tomorrow? Get up, make the bed brush your teeth, go to work, obey the speed limit, all those things Now you're supposed to do on a daily basis. Uh, well, well for, for sure, I'm waiting for God to work. What should I do the next day? Get up, brush your teeth, read your Bible, have time of prayer, and get busy doing what God has called you to do. And if that's go to work, then go to work and be the best employee you can. And Nehemiah, that's what he's doing. Verse 2. Well, He goes before the king. He doesn't have the ability to say anything, but the king is going to ask him a question. Now, if the king asks you a question, you're okay. And so the king, verse 2, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Notice the response of Nehemiah. Then I was... Not just afraid, not just sore afraid. I was very sore afraid because uh, if you were sad in the king's presence, that was a death penalty offense. <laughs> Most Christians wouldn't live through the day, would they? <clears throat> so here's Nehemiah. He's in the presence of the king. He goes, what does the king think? Wow, well, you know, this, this guy, maybe he's thinking about killing me. Maybe he's thinking about poisoning my food. Maybe I can't trust him today. Uh, but he was sad in the presence of the king. That was, a, that was not a good thing. He was, he was afraid, very sore afraid. And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Uh, nothing against you. Why should I not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulcher, lieth wait, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? And that's his burden. And I'm sure that for the past four months, he said, at some point I'm going to have an opportunity to address this before the king. What am I going to say? And maybe he took uh, some parchment and he wrote it out and crossed it out and memorized it and rehearsed it and stood in front of the mirror. I just say, when the king said, why is thy countenance sad? He, he was prepared to explain in a short, condensed powerful statement that there's serious business going on here that would cause anybody to be said. Notice then the king says, verse 4, the king said unto me, for what doth thou make request? If Nehemiah had spent the last four months doing what normal Christians do today, you say, "Well, what are you doing?" Well, I can't do anything because <laughs> there's nothing going on, and uh, the Pastor hasn't asked me to teach Sunday school class, and he hasn't asked me to. Uh, so, 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 what are you doing? Are you preparing? Are you taking a Bible class? Are you you taking notes? Are you preparing a lesson, anyways? <laughs> uh, if if uh, this this week a Sunday school teacher called in sick, could Corey could Corey see that? Man, you're a person that you come in with an outline every week. And it's not the teacher's outline. It's your own outline. And could he walk up to you and say, I know that you have an outline every week prepared. Would you be willing to teach in the... And say, preacher, that doesn't happen. It does happen. You better be prepared. And God has a prepared place for a prepared person. Uh, Miss Bishop and I are on vacation. When I go on vacation, I always go in church with an outline. I always do. Every single time, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, it doesn't matter. We were in Michigan and walked into church on Sunday morning. And Friday evening, uh, the pastor's daughter was at a stop sign and she pulled out a stop sign on a major highway, failed to see the car come in her direction. The car hit her in the driver's door and she died two days before Sunday. What do you do? You're the preacher. You're expected to stand up there before the congregation and preach how do you do that? I don't know. I don't know. We were, they were singing the opening song for opening exercise. And we were said that the church is in a V shape. And so we were over in this section against the, the stained glass window. And the preacher was leaning as a wide, um, a wide ledge. And he leaned on the ledge and he said, Brother Bishop, can you preach for me this morning? I can't do it. And I looked at him and I said, absolutely. Absolutely. And I walked away from the windowsill and walked up front and said, take your Bibles and turn and put my outline down and we're ready to go. Why? Wow. God, God will open up opportunities for you if you come in there prepared. What a shame it would have been if I said, well, uh, uh, no, I didn't really come in prepared to do that today. And he probably would have said, never mind, Brother Bishop, you go sit down and I'll take care of it. And you, we miss opportunities uh, to serve the Lord. He's ready. These last four months, he's been preparing, rehearsing what he's going to say. And now the king has asked the follow-up question. What do you need to be successful in this endeavor? And this is not something you just come up with off the top of your head. This is a man who is thinking. And I said unto the king, if it pleased the king, and if thy servant, this is an interesting phrase that we have seen just recently, and if I have found favor in thy sight. Who said that? Esther did. Esther did. King liked to show favor. They were generous to people. And he asked the question, If I have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldst send me to Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulcher, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, The queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me. What is not said said there is the answer. But he obviously had an answer. Uh, This much time, this much space, this much material. Uh, Notice verse uh, 8, verse 7. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it pleased the king... We need letters. Let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beans for the gate of the city. How, how words are they coming up with this? Not on the spur of the moment. Four months of preparation. Four months of saying, God, what? when the king asks me, and he is going to ask me, because I believe that you want your city to be built, and I believe that I'm the man to do it. And he's waiting on the Lord. It is a spiritual discipline. It is not easy to do, but it does not mean that we should be lazy and doing nothing. And so he did. Asaph, he's got the name. He knows the name. He knows the title. He knows where the people are. He knows what he needs. He knows the material that he needs. He knows the the legal letters that he needs from the king in order to present to make that happen. And you just don't walk up to Asaph and say, hey, uh, uh, king sent me and I need some uh, stuff for, this, uh, for the walls and the gates in Jerusalem. I said Seriously, fella? Anybody in the government knows. Uh, you've got to have uh, duplicates, triplicates, signed, sealed, delivered, notarized, uh, hand-carried, signed off by seven other different people to make it happen. You just don't walk up to uh, supply and say, hey, I need this. Uh, they they'll, they'll laugh at you. It's got to go through the proper channel. And Nehemiah knew what those channels were, and he had the letters, and the king provided them. <clears throat> Verse 9, Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Why? Because governors aren't going to listen to the, a cupbearer unless he's got the king's letters. <clears throat> and now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. So. said, <laughs> This is the first time i ever seen a cupbearer leading the army. What in the world? This must be some big, big, big dude. And uh, This must be some important guy that the king has sent him, that he sent him with letters, that he sent him with armed forces to make this happen. I, I think I'll cooperate. Uh, that might be a good idea. Uh, verse 10, but it does not matter. Listen, when God is working, you can guarantee... Uh, that uh, Satan is going to show up. And oftentimes Satan shows up in religious people. Sanballat, the Hornite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it. It grieved them exceedingly. Why? That there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Why is that? Because they hated the Jewish people. We think today, 2024, that the hatred of the Jewish people is something new. It is not new. It is not new. But it's not that people hate the Jewish people as much as they hate God and the things of God. What is he going through? He's going through a time of pondering, painful waiting. What do you do? We ask the question, how long, Lord? When are you going to take care of this? When you gonna move? Because we are by nature impatient people. Sitting at a traffic light. Trying to get home so I can get cleaned up and get ready, come to church. And the, the person at the first person at the light uh, I don't know, they were doing a small business alone on their phone or something. Uh, their head was down, and I'm behind them. Now, they can't hear me, but I'm talking to them. Uh, you best know, if I'm behind you and you're sitting at the light, texting up in front of me, I'm talking to you. What you doing up there? Get yourself moving. Come on. And then uh, two people around them beeped, and the guy, guy got going, and, and I went along with behind. behind. I mean, we, just, we just hate to wait. We hate to do it. But we should learn to wait On the Lord, to trust Him. Nehemiah is doing that. Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. And He'll show you some really neat things to where you'll be able to say, with Nehemiah, There's no way I could pull this off. But God touched the heart of the king to ask me a question. And I was prepared to give an answer. Did not waste the four years. Spurgeon said this, We shall not grow weary of waiting on God if we remember how long God graciously once waited for us. What does the Bible text say? That the Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. I led someone to Christ just recently. A man, and he he uh, bowed his head and he said, oh, "Wow!" And he asked Christ a wonderful, a sweet prayer. And he lifted his head and he looked at me and he said, "But I hope the Lord comes back today." And I looked right back at him and I said, "Aren't you glad He waited till today, so that you could be saved? Because if He came yesterday, you would not have been prepared." And he said, well, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he waited till today. So uh, that's why the Lord hasn't come back yet, because there are still people to be saved, and there are still people that need to be witnessed to, spoken to, encouraged to come to the Lord. Again, spiritual, waiting is a spiritual discipline. That is hard work. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And what should we do while we're waiting? Uh, certainly we should pray. Certainly we should be seeking God's face in prayer. We should be seeking God through God's word. We should be doing that and uh, going to work and doing what God has told you to do. I was seven years in police work. Uh, seven years in police work, every, every week, every probably every month going to the altar and saying, oh, Lord, uh, if you've got another place for me to do, I'll, if you've got something else for me to do, you let me know. I love what I'm doing. I love my job. I love going to work. Uh, but if you've got something else for me to do, you let me know it. This youth guy came up to me, and he's in charge of uh, the Wednesday night program, and he said, uh, Brother Bishop, you've been coming to church. You've been faithful uh, he said, I'd like you to pray about an opportunity. And uh, I, I said, I'll do it. He said, I haven't told you what it is yet. He said, it doesn't matter. I'll do it. He said, Brother Bishop, it's the fourth grade boys and uh, on Wednesday night, and I want you to, I want you to not, not to be the main teacher. I just want you to be a helper. I said, I'll do it. He said, Brother Bishop, you need to pray about this. You need to learn to pray about things. Uh, his name, Brother Neff, uh, Pastor Neff. I said, Pastor Neff, I pray about this every day. I told the Lord this morning when I got up, if you've got something for me to do today, you show me what it is, and I'll do it. And God sent you to ask me to teach a class, and I'm telling you, I already prayed about it, and I'll do it. He said, well, that's a different response. And I taught fourth grade boys. Still went to the altar and said, Lord, if you've got something for me to do, you let me know what that is. About two years later, he said, Brother Bishop, you've been faithful with the fourth grade boys, I've got another opportunity. I want you to pray about it. I said, I'll do it. He said, I haven't told you what it is yet. Obviously, he forgot the previous conversation. And I said, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm prayed up for this. You remember the last time you talked to me, I got up this morning, as I have done every morning for the last four years, and I said, Lord, if you've got something for me to do today, you, 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 you let me know what that is, and I will do it. And I am, I have come prepared. God sent you to me to ask me to teach 10th grade boys, uh, in Sunday school. I will do it. And he went, I forgot. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm prayed up. You know, listen, you should be praying for God to bring opportunities. And then when they present themselves, those that are presenting the opportunities will go, well, that's a different attitude. That's a different attitude. I am here tonight for that same reason. A pastor pulled me in his office and said, Brother Bishop, there's a church down in Alexandria. They're known, you, they're known as the preacher killers. And I would never recommend anybody go there. Um, they don't need a preacher. They need, they need somebody with arrest powers. And you go down there and you, and, you, and you try to help those people. And I said, okay. And so it's been, I don't know, 28 years now and, and we're still here. And I, I, said to, I said to the pastor, I said, um, I don't have to pray about it. I pray about it every day. You know, once a month, I'm at the altar praying that, Lord, if you've got something for me to do, you show me and I'll do it. And I said, I'm ready. I'm prepared. If you think that's where God would have me to best serve, best serve, best serve you, best serve him, um, and, and that's what I'm going to do. That's where I'm going to go. He said, okay. He said, now, now listen, I'd never recommend you go there. Again, there's the preacher killers down there. And I said, okay. And then uh, uh, we're, we're here. Uh, after a short time later, he called me in the office again, and he said, "You know, Brother Bishop, uh, I would have, I would have, I would have never sent you down there." I said, "Yeah, I know that." And he said, "But obviously, God had a plan, and God did. God had a plan for Nehemiah. But if Nehemiah had said, uh, uh, uh well, uh, uh, King, uh, 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 you know, I really haven't thought this through much. If you can give me, give me a couple weeks to off with his head.' <laughs> he probably would have said that off with his head. <laughs> this guy." This guy's not doing his job. He can't be trusted. When we think about the Lord's return, we typically think about the guy in the 1990s and, and early 2000s camping, Harold camping. He was always doing all kinds of predictions. And uh, most of you are along, are here long enough to, re- to, to remember, you're old enough to remember that. People sold their houses and um, and bankrupted themselves to proclaim the Lord was kind of coming back. But that's really nothing new. 1844, William Miller preached that Jesus was going to return on such and such a date in 1844. And uh, many quit their jobs. Farmers left their crops unharvested. Others gave away their possessions. God, does don't want you to quit. I want you to go to work tomorrow. I want you to be responsible in the things that he has called you to do. If you've got crops in the field, you should harvest them. If you've got, uh, you've got business, of, if, listen. you've got a cavity, get it filled. Or get your tooth pulled. Don't, don't say, I, I think the Lord's coming back at the end of the month and put off all the common sense stuff that you should be doing. Nehemiah went to work. Mordecai went to work. You should go to work. You should. Why? What is that? Uh, Well, while you're pondering painful waiting, you should have practical positional expectation. Uh, Nehemiah understood who he was and where he was, and he he had an expectation that God was going to do something great and that God was going to move Uh, Again, he was a Jew, a foreigner. He uh, he did not have the right to ask the king anything, but he believed God was going to open up that opportunity. And God did. But it was his job to be prepared when the king said, why are you sad? To say, this is why I'm sad. And when the king said, what do you need? To say, this is what I need. And, And this is not an isolated thing. Joseph, in the book of Genesis... Pharaoh called him in and said, "What's the dream mean?" He said, "This is what the dream means. What do we need to do?" "This is what you need to do. And you need to appoint somebody who's really smart to do that." And the king and the pharaoh looked at Joseph and said, "Man, <laughs> if you understand what's going to go on and you understand what needs to be done and you understand uh, the plan and how it needs to be implemented uh, implemented, who is there more than who's there more wise than you to get the job done?" and appointed Joseph. Joseph went from being in jail to being the second most powerful man in the world. Mordecai went from being almost hung to being the second most powerful man in the world. Nehemiah went from being a cupbearer to taking on one of the largest building programs of his time. But he was prepared. Are you prepared? Gamilla... Kravitska, 36 years of age, she sued her employer. Uh, No, she was in a car crash in 2017, and she sued the other driver uh, that she was debilitated and she couldn't work anymore. And so the court awarded her lifetime earnings, millions of dollars. And the insurance company started following her around. And on the day that it was to be cited in court, and she came in in her wheelchair and huddled over and her neck brace and her back brace and people helping her up. And the insurance company said, Your Honor, we'd like to show you a video. Apparently, just a short time before, she was all huddled up in court, crippled up in court. She had participated in a throw of the Christmas tree contest. A six-foot blue spruce to see how far you could throw it. And she's on there. She's on video. You can go go look at it this evening. She's on video, and she's got this tree, and she's dancing, and she catapults the tree in a beautiful uh, ballerina fashion, and she won the contest. And the judge looked at the video, and he looked at her all crippled up with the neck brace on and the back brace on and and, and, and all kinds of straitjackets going on. And he said, I smell a fraud. Your claim is denied. Hey, God's got something for you to do. Does he smell a fraud? Are you true? Are you following him? Are you preparing? Uh, Because once you're expecting, once you find yourself in the right position, you are in a place of powerful, divinely appointed. Nehemiah is in a place of powerful, divinely appointed opportunity. Then you're ready to say, I'm ready. Nehemiah had planned. He had prepared. He had a, and I'll say again, God has a prepared place and a prepared position for a prepared person. What is my job right now? Go to work. Wait on the Lord. Go to the altar. Get on your knees. Wait on the Lord. Wait for God to bring it to pass. And he will. And he will. And God did. Prepare today for blessings tomorrow. God said that to the children of Israel as they left Egypt. God says that to you and died this evening. Prepare. 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 Go to school. Take a class. Learn a language. Practice. Hone your skill. Uh, I talk to missionaries. Not every single day. But very often... Hi, how are you? Where are you going? How long How long you been on deputation? What field are you going to? Do you know the language? You've been on deputation for five years, and you're nearing the end of your support. Five years is a big red flag. It shouldn't take you five years to raise support, so it says there's something matter, but you're coming up to the end, and I'm not here to discourage you. And then I say, you've been on the, you've been on the road for five years. Yes, I have. And you're going where? I don't know. I'm going to Brazil. Brazil, I happen to know they speak Portuguese. I say Brazil because it was a Brazil guy that called me just recently. And I said, Going to Brazil? And he, he said, Yes. And I said, And they speak Portuguese? He said, Yes. And I said, Have you learned a language? He said, Well, the first thing we're going to do is going to go to language school. I said, What have you been doing for the last five years? He said, Well, we've been going from church to church. I said, Hey, have you ever heard of like language courses on CD? You can like stick them in and play them as you're driving down the road. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of miles. But he couldn't say hi, how are you? in Portuguese. I, I just it's just hard for me to say, listen, if you're not preparing, if 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 it's not important to you, then why should it be important to me? Or to Lighthouse Baptist Church? It, you're not a good investment if you're wasting God's time doing nothing. Take a class, learn a language, take a Bible course, take a teacher training course. There are things that you can do for Christ. So here's some people Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses. But here's what Christians say to me Pastor, if the Lord will, That's James chapter four. Do not use that verse on the preacher. Because that's not where the verse stops. And I look at person, I say, that's James chapter four. Yeah, preacher, if the Lord will. <laughs> that verse says, you pulled it out of context. That verse says, if the Lord will, we shall live and do. Are you living and doing? Are you taking action? Are you taking steps? Are you getting prepared? Because this, does, this stuff doesn't happen by accident. And God doesn't use people by accident. God uses people on purpose to do a great work. We celebrate Nehemiah, government employee, say in the right place at the right time. He was in the place doing the thing God wanted him to do and making preparations. God got to do something great in his life, and God did, and God will, and God still does that today. Father, I thank you for your word, and thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you for a, ch- a challenging uh, passage of Scripture, and I pray that we'd be so uh, motivated uh, to wait on you, to get in your word, to get prepared, to take a language course, to uh, prepare a lesson outline, to take a class on teaching, but not just to sit idly by, and say, boy, I hope God lets me do something sometime down the road, but to actively, fervently, purposefully prepare. And we'll praise you for what you do through us, as we are faithful to serve you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.